All right, folks, welcome to episode three of Talking Cloud. I'm Brett and I'm Travers. That's Travers. Here we go again. I was trying to point, but I can never. There we go. It's always opposite. <laughs> Travers. Um, yeah, we're a little behind this week on timing, uh, but it's been kind of one of those weeks. So here we are at three o'clock instead of one o'clock. Welcome to the new episode. What we're going to do is we're just going to jump right into a couple interesting tidbits of info we found over the week. So let me just change yeah. our view here. There we go. The first thing that, okay, hold on. It just said audio, audio muted. Okay, I think I'm okay. I, I see the little audio thing moving. <laughs> I'm totally now afraid that we don't have this set up right. Yeah. Um, the first thing that I wanted to highlight, let me zoom in a bit here because this is kind of small. Maybe. Come on. There we go. Oh, now I've done it. There we go. That's a little better. Uh, the first thing I wanted to highlight was a project that I mentioned in passing last week. We were talking about like cost optimization and stuff like that and some automation. And I had said, hey, on a on a AWS Twitch stream called Build On Live, they had done a whole like half day, I think it was, on cost optimization and sort of automation in your accounts. And the one of the presenters had talked about a GitHub project that they had created and I couldn't find it during the stream, right? right? And I found it. Uh, it was totally user error because all I had to do was go to the right page in GitHub because I'm, I'm watching this project and I just, in the moment I couldn't find it. So this is kind of cool. It, it uh, I haven't dug around in it a ton, but essentially what it's doing, let me see if I can find what I wanna show you, is you can see here, right? Lambda handler and it's running basically a describe operation against trusted advisor. It's pulling off uh, some interesting things. It looks like there's some filtering happening here and then making a connection to JIRA and, and creating JIRA tickets. Uh, and yeah. The yeah. Finding directly into a ticket. Yeah. Yeah. I thought that was kind of neat. You know, it's uh, interesting to kind of see how you might automate these types of things. And I know, well, we spend half of our life in JIRA. Uh, I know people <laughs> either like it or hate it. There's no in between. But if you're in JIRA and you wanted some way to maybe take trusted advisor, I guess you could do the same thing for Security Hub and stuff like that. Pull yeah. that out and, and dump it into here to sort of start tracking tickets and stuff. That's kind of neat. For sure. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So that's uh, the first one. It's good. Yeah. The other one that I that I found, I've been listening to this podcast for a while. Uh, it's mm -hmm. uh, Software Defined, and um, okay. Software Defined Talk or something like that, and it just comes up in my Spotify feed now, and I listen to it. So it's a really great just general technology uh, discussion, and they've been talking about open cost. If if I'm not misremembering this i think what it is is one of the folks on the podcast uh, is working on this project and this is an open source cost monitoring solution and like i said they've mentioned it a couple times and it's was originally built to help you understand costs for kubernetes solutions mm. running on I think it supports all the different cloud providers, but just a, a way to help okay. you understand how you're actually spending your money. And I guess KubeCon happened this week. And mm. 
along with that, uh, they had mentioned that they now support other types of cost monitoring within the various uh, uh, platforms. And that's what kind of caught my eye was like, okay, what else could this thing do if maybe you weren't necessarily just you know interested in your Kubernetes costs, maybe you're interested in understanding some other costs. And right. you can see here now that they've got, I think this is the link here. So they've got all the setup on on how do you, how you do this. The cloud cost feature, as it says right here, isn't really sort of rolled into everything yet. They just announced it, and you have to use a specific image that has this uh, additional functionality. But I thought this was kind of neat. You still have to run it on Kubernetes. It's not like a not like uh, uh, okay. some of the other tools out there that you just kind of you know API in and away you go. So you still, if I'm understanding it correctly, you still need. Kubernetes running and this runs as a container in that in that Kubernetes environment. Gotcha. So you deploy it to your cluster and then it picks up. I wonder how it works. Is it picking up actual usage or is it querying uh, AWS yeah, APIs? They said in here, and I, again, I won't be able to find it now that I want. Maybe if I go under here. Like it could just be picking up cluster metrics, but um, yeah, yeah I'm I think it's pulling out cluster metrics because they talk about requiring Prometheus, and I guess that's the way they're getting uh, some okay. of the data. <clears throat> but on top of that, I think, ah, damn, I won't be able to find it now that I want. Yeah, I want to say there was some mention in here about the, what is it called? The uh, cost and usage report. So, oh, okay. Well, that's I think for the like the the cloud specific stuff, they're yeah. getting that from other sources. I can't recall now if it's uh, API calls or they're just parsing the uh, CUR reports or something like that. But I just it kind of caught my eye when they were or caught my attention when they were talking about it because managing your Kubernetes costs is one thing, but then if you've already got that cluster running and now you could extend it to help with other things, I was really yeah. hoping to find like um like an example screenshot or something like that because i know last week we talked about uh is it the kudos platform right the the aws yes. sort of built on quicksight thing uh that's pretty good right it's got some nice dashboards and stuff uh, maybe we could set this up in our own environment set up a small eks cluster just to see what it looks like yeah i'd like to play around with this and yeah. it looks like it's kind of doing both right querying the cost and usage and getting actual cluster metrics yeah which is do, nice. you, do you see that on this page did i just miss it somewhere on this page well, maybe we should dig into uh, Amazon Web Services. Oh, here you go. It'll attempt to pull data from the following. On-demand pricing, spot instance feed, cloud costs if yeah. configured, see below. And then this is where, yeah, so here you go. This is the configuration piece. So it looks okay. like it's using Athena. Oh, here you go. This is it. There, there's the cost and usage report. Yeah. Right. So it looks like it's doing a, a couple different things. The the thing that caught my eye here. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. What were you going to say? I was going to say that's neat. <laughs> yeah, it is neat. The only thing that I I didn't like, and and obviously I I don't know what I'm talking about here because this is really the first time I've seen this product. But I don't. I I always it always makes me a little nervous when I see access keys and secret access keys in the configs. Yeah. Never love to see that, right? Yeah, right. but I, you know what? If it's if it's like this is the first attempt at grabbing non sort of Kubernetes specific costs, 
then right. I, I wouldn't be surprised if at all in, in the future you see role information in here, right? So you've got, you don't have those hard-coded credentials or users yeah. to manage. That would be good. Yeah, it would be nice not to have to store that in uh, Secrets Manager or Vault or something. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, yeah we'll and I, I haven't dug into it. Maybe they've got some fancy way to do that, might. to pull it programmatically somehow or store it somewhere that's maybe a little more secure rather than just having to hard code it somewhere. Uh, because down here, see, this is this is the Athena configs, or sorry, the, the, the full config. And I don't see anything in here that's where your keys are, are set, so... I think we should try to set this up. Like we should set yeah. this up in uh, one of our, maybe in our management account, just sit a small cluster there to try it out and point it at the cost and usage. I'd like to see yeah. some of the screens and stuff be neat. Yeah, for sure. So there's that one. Those are the two things there. They're, they're kind of a little bit of holdovers from last week when I couldn't find the repo. And then because <laughs> I was thinking about cost and they mentioned this in the other podcast, I was like, Hey, that's, that's kind of cool. Let's add it to our list. And then you gave me this one. Yes. Move around here. So what's this all about? Guard duty, machine learning capabilities. So this is just a quick little piece of news I found on their news page. It looks like they've improved the machine learning detection for guard duty for Kubernetes specifically. So it'll go and pick up secrets now if it, if it can detect those, detect um, anomalous pod spin-ups, that kind of thing, mm. which is uh, pretty handy. So if you're running Kubernetes in the cloud, you should definitely consider enabling you know, the audit log monitoring and have guard duty inspect, that kind of thing. Yeah, I would say you know, almost a no-brainer, right? I'm sure there's pretty some much, yeah. slight additional costs for it because I know you right. pay for guard duty and then guard duty now has yes. those direct integrations with a bunch of other services. So I wonder, I know it's got doesn't have integration now with RDS, with S3. Yep. <laughs> What's that? Sorry, just a thumbs up came up on the screen. So oh, did of... I did I do that again? Yeah. Yeah, oh, man. I have to figure out how to turn that off. Um, <laughs> I only think about it when we're doing something like this and I lose track of it. Um, I was saying, like, Guard Duty's already got a bunch of direct integration with other AWS yeah. services. I, I don't know how it would affect the costs, but I would say that if you're running... EKS, this is a no-brainer to have definitely running, worth right? Considering for, at least for sure. Yeah. I know they scan EC2 instances for for sure and yeah. container images as well. Yeah. 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 It makes so. a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Perfect. Oh, uh, is you made me before I did the thumbs up thing and got distracted. <laughs> I uh, that's a really I can't stop that habit now. I, I do it all the time. I don't know where it came from. Um, there was something else about guard duty. If it comes back, we'll come back to the slide to this page. Okay. And and this is one thing that I came across that again I thought was maybe zoom out here a little bit. That I thought was really interesting is the IAM Access Analyzer now supports additional AWS services. And oh great. Very similar to guard duty. I kind of think this is almost like a like a no-brainer, right? Because really, Access, yeah. Access Analyzer does a bunch of things. It does, um, so the first thing, and, and I think the thing that most people think about, I know this is what I think about immediately, is being able to understand sort of what external resources have access to your account, yeah. right? Doing that is analysis. Yeah, right. Who who or what has access to the account kind of thing from outside of, what do they call it? Your zone of trust, I think, or something like that. I think so. 
Yeah, so that's that to me is is a, is a great little feature. But then on top of that, it does policy validation uh, against best practices. It does some basic grammar checking of your policy docs. And then on yep. top of that, it will help you practice least privilege by analyzing access patterns and then spitting out example policies for you. So I've only I've only tooled around with it here or there, like the the uh, policy generation thing. Mm. But it's it's pretty slick. Like it takes just a couple minutes. You tell it, uh, you know, you can do this obviously programmatically or through the management console. You can you basically say, what did I do? Like I said, how many days I want it to go and look at, like the last thirty yeah. days or something like that. And what it does is it goes off and finds basically all of through CloudTrail, all of the activity that's happening and uses that to generate a policy that would make sure that all of those activities or actions that you've done over the last 30 days are still in your in your uh, permissions document. So that's pretty cool. Right. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. I mean, this service is one of those. It's kind of just a you should just turn this on in your account. Like there's, I, there's yeah, very little, think, very little you, downside. Do you remember is IAM Access Analyzer one of those services? My immediate reaction is that it does this. Is is it integrated with AWS organizations? So you can say, turn this on, like at least the, um, you know, Ooh. the zone of trust kind of thing. Um, yeah. Turn this on for every account within the organization. And then you just get a report that says, here's everything outside of the organization that has access. Yeah, you call? can set up a delegated admin for Access Analyzer. I just okay. checked. So okay, so you so, set yeah. up trusted yeah, access. What's it called? Trusted access, and then you set delegated admin into another account. Yep. Maybe like your your security account or something like that. I guess. Yeah, we yeah. definitely in your security account. I would yeah. think. Yeah, and do you? There's a. Is there a cost for that, or is it IAM free of charge kind of work? Do you know? Um, I'm, I'm, I'm testing your. Figures. Your yeah, you're testing my knowledge here. I don't your think your Google abilities. Analyzer. Yeah, I don't think Google so. Analyzer. But yeah, I'd have to check. Yeah, okay. Perfect. To be sure. All right. Yeah, it's and free of charge. You can free of charge. Service free of charge. Yeah. yeah, I'd be surprised, right? Uh, yeah. IAM is free, so it's just an extension. It's just bundled in. Yeah. In IAM, yeah. Yeah, you know, the other thing that thinking about this one is the S3 Access Analyzer, which essentially oh, yeah. does the same thing, right? It looks to see uh, what buckets are allowing access from outside of the account, what buckets are configured for public access. I think the S3 Access Analyzer requires that you've you've enabled the IAM Access Analyzer first, but to me, that's mm. a, another kind of no-brainer. You just turn it on, right? Yeah, you might <laughs> yeah. well validate those policies and who's accessing your data, right? Yeah, I, I, would, I would be interested when it comes to the, the IAM Access Analyzer, like I'd be interested yeah. to see if there's any tooling out there or somebody's created some automation where like, I'll just make a number up. Every seven days, you run the IAM Access Analyzer in your account against the resources that are there already and to validate that, yeah, the, the policies are still not correct, but least privileged, right? Because it's it's easy to create it and say, this is good. And then people will not look at it for the next year. And is it still yeah, yeah. valid, right? I don't know if something like that exists. That, that would be kind of an interesting project to look at. 
coming up with another potential service. <laughs> oh my God. No, I'm not. I'm just, I, I'm spitballing because I, I kind of, I see the value you, of it, but if you're waiting for somebody uh, to remotely or, or manually run the analyzer, we, we know in real life how often that's going to get done, right? Like, right. like the no, first time because it's cool. And then after that, you just have so much work to do that you, you don't do it again, right? Right. Yeah. Maybe that's maybe interesting for sure. Yeah, like just a, a little lambda function or something that does it for you. Yeah. The, I guess the real benefit would be, do you have enough faith in it that you write the lambda function that does the yeah. scanning every seven days and you just take its word for it? And, right. And and on that seventh day, after the, the first stage is done, you just replace the policies. That yeah. would that would That would take some confidence, right? You would have to, yeah. You would need to. Uh, <laughs> Monday Monday morning, everything's that. broken. Yeah, that would be yeah. a fun. Uh, yeah, it would be start of the week. Fun. All right, what what's next on the list? Here we go. So here's another one that uh, you shared. If I can get scrolled in properly here. So what do we got? We got an update for SQS in the right. JSON protocol. So, yeah, this is another kind of background. Just performance update that Amazon pushed I saw this week. Okay. So basically they're swapping the background protocol that SQS API calls are making from the AWS query protocol to the JSON protocol. So if you're running a lot of SQS queries on the back end from you know various clients using the AWS SDKs, that should speed things up a little bit. So you can look at a performance increase if you have the latest SDK version. So I thought yeah. that was kind of interesting to see. Yeah, that is neat. So it says here, the JSON protocol, blah, 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 reduces end-to-end -end message processing latency by up to 23%. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's not an not a, insignificant number, right? big jump. Yeah. Yeah, very good. SQS is kind of one of those things. Like, like I know when we teach classes and stuff like that, mm -hmm. you're kind of like, look at all this stuff, look at all this stuff. Oh, by the way, here's SQS and SNS. And then we kind of move on. But I know right. in real life, like when we're helping customers with stuff, like SNS and SQS are kind of like, they're just really important services to help you kind of build yeah. those loosely coupled architectures. They're easy to use. They're insanely cost-effective. It, it's the glue, it, right? Yeah. For, the it's, 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 for cloud serverless apps. Yeah, that's exactly it. Yeah. I think they kind of get overlooked. Yeah. Especially if you, sure. need, if you need a queuing service. Like I know we've worked with people in the past. They're always like, hey, let's install these other this other queuing solution of some sort. And I realize that in yeah. certain situations that's warranted because you've got a, a particular feature or something that you need that SQS doesn't do. Totally makes sense. I think sometimes though it just it gets overlooked like it does exactly what you want it to do it's highly available it scales it's super easy to use it supports encryption yeah. it's going to do what you need for a lot of different types of workloads right yeah for most workloads it's probably more than enough more than i think enough. Uh, the alternative is what manage kafka or running your own kafka cluster which so. it seems you know, unless you need all of those kind of more advanced features that you're going to get with some other queuing service, right? Yeah. It seems like now you're taking on, I guess if you do the managed implementation, then obviously you're still yeah. offloading some of that work to Amazon. And if you need those more advanced capabilities, it makes sense. Um, I think the other thing about SQS is it's insanely cheap. 
Like, I, oh, I can't yeah. remember. Don't they bill you in millions of messages or something like that on a standard queue? Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's uh, yeah, it's pretty cheap. But you'd have to, I guess once you get to maybe like uh, millions of users scale, it probably makes more sense to have your yeah. own clusters running. But Yeah. So so here, I'll, I'll put you on the spot again. I know we've used SQS a couple times. Can you think of yeah. like any, and I, I know not on that type of a scale, but have you run into anything specific that you could think of that would be like, you know, I know when we did X, we had to be careful of, of some specific thing or is SQS really as easy as, as they make it sound like as far as implementation goes? Uh, there's some gotchas with um, the order messages can arrive in. So depending on your use case, you might want to implement a first in first out queue versus a regular queue. Uh, so it really depends on whether order is important or not. But that's the main real gotcha. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There's two separate versions of the service to handle that. Yeah. Standard is the default, right? And then you've got yeah. the FIFO queue if you're if you're concerned about the order of of those messages, right? Yeah. yeah. And it's yeah, like you said, it's like forty cents per million requests. So depending on the scale of your app. It's pretty cost effective. <laughs> yeah, especially if you're just like a if you're a serverless startup or a small small business, that's nothing, right? Yeah, no. But if you get into like a huge org scale, it might start to Yeah. adding up. Okay, here's a, another pop quiz for you. SQS okay. is a, a regional service. Is there any, like I, I noticed the other day, and, and the reason I'm thinking about this is because mm -hmm. we were looking at something with EFS and EFS now supports cross-region replication. So you can create an EFS uh, file system in region A and then set up replication over to region B. Does okay. SQS support anything like that? Or is it like regional, regionally specific? And then if, if that were to go away, you'd have to recreate it somewhere else. Or does it have replication? Do you know? Yeah, good question. I'm not sure. I don't think um, it does. I, d I wonder if you can fan out to various regions. Oh, you know what you could do? I guess in theory, what you could do is put SNS in front of it. And couldn't you then fan out from SNS to SQS queues in multiple regions, maybe? Yeah, maybe. You could, I mean, you could definitely spin it. You could, you could architect your system in such a way that your queues are situated in multiple regions, multiple regions. for sure. Yeah. And then you just fire them off yeah. your messages to the various queues. Uh, but yeah, it's accessible in, in era, every region, right? You just have to specify which region that you're using which in the region, client. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that's it's just an HTTPS call, isn't it? Right, point be, off yeah. to the, the queue URL or an API call. Yep, yeah, yeah, depending uh, on how you're doing it. Okay. And the last thing is the beast of the document here. The, the AWS Security Reference Architecture, originally Ooh. created, I looked this up ahead mm -hmm. of this call, and then I, I forget. I want to say that it was like created in 2021. Uh, here we go, document history, I'm looking right at it. Yeah, there we go, initial publication 2021. And I, I often refer to this document and why it grabbed my attention this week was because if I go back to the document history, major update happened in November and you can see kind of mm. what they've changed. So they updated some of the account best practices for both the network account and the application account. Okay, so to include some additional yep. 
you know, support for new services or not support, I should say, but sort of how to approach those services, uh, some additional security info, new guidance around AI and machine learning, um, and then also sort of how could you do this in a phased manner? Because I think one of the things that can be a little intimidating with this is it's a huge document, right? And this idea of taking it as a, a in a phased approach probably makes a lot of sense. Way uh, yeah, it's massive. Yeah, otherwise, it's it can be intimidating, right? And then you end up just getting overwhelmed and and not doing anything uh, and just kind of leaving things as they are. So this is what caught my eye. I I would this document to me is kind of like very similar along the path of some of the or the conversations we've had today is kind of almost a no brainer. I think this is a fantastic yeah. reference doc that you you really should. I don't think you need to read it end to end, but poking around in it, you know, pulling out some of these building blocks on structures for your organizations and your account layouts. They've they've also got really great, like if I just go here, right? They've got these nice diagrams that say, okay, in the security oh, yeah. account, this is what you should deploy. Uh, they they go into all of this in, in a pretty, pretty easy to understand. I was trying to find you the other picture pretty easy to understand approach that you could, it's very prescriptive in the fact that you could simply walk through it, follow the instructions or do some additional reading to kind of figure out maybe where you're a little unclear and yeah. um, and then kind of work towards it. So I thought this was an interesting document that is probably should be on everybody's reading list. Absolutely, definitely a great reference tool. Like you said, if you need to go and brush up on uh the best practices is yeah. a good place to do it. Yeah. And then like, also like this, just cause we were talking about IAM earlier on for best practices, oh, yeah. you know, links off to other documents. So very similar to kind of how they approach uh, the well-architected framework, right? Where it's, it's guidance and then references yeah. off to other things to help you learn more about how things might work or how you decide to implement something according to what you need to do. Right. Yeah. So, very good. Perfect. Anything else that you stumbled across before we wrap it up? Um, what else did I stumble across this week? Oh, there was some huge news in um, generative AI, not AWS related. Yeah. But uh, more chat GPT related. So do, you can do tell. Uh, you can now, or rather they've released the beta that allows you to design your own agents in ChatGPT without any coding. So you can go in and specify what you want this agent to do. And uh, say you want to make like an AWS expert, you can say, I'm going to make an AWS expert bot. And mm. then uh, you have access to that and you can make it globally available, which is kind of crazy. And you don't have to host it? Like, is it hosted on their platform somehow and you just make it available for people to use? From what I know, it's hosted on their platform and people can use it based on, and I, I think they have to pay uh, or maybe a portion of the API fees go towards it, but yeah, that's, yeah. that's, that's really cool. I, I think I heard about that, but I, I didn't really look into it. So you can basically create your own, your own implementation for a particular use case then. For whatever you want. Yeah, you can upload documents to give it context, that kind of thing. And you said it's so, beta right now? Yeah, it's in beta. It's not mm -hmm. generally available. Okay. Um, so, but coming soon. Coming soon. So. 
I, I, yeah, that that's that is pretty, pretty, pretty cool. It'll be interesting to see what people do with it. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Once it once it becomes available, I, and it would also be interesting to see like, like, do you just have to subscribe to ChatGPT? Like, what is ChatGPT worth? Twenty bucks a month? Thirty bucks? Like, I don't even know. Pretty much. Yeah. So is that like a different plan to get access to that? Or are they going to give that out for 20 bucks a month and then you just yeah, who knows, go wild, man. right? Yeah. Kind of at uh, OpenAI's mercy on that one. I so. guess, yeah. It'd be interesting to see how they how they approach that. Is it just included in the paid version or is it some sort of other option that you would have to sort of add to your paid account or something like that? Oh, I'm sure they'll find some way to... Uh... Yeah, you got to monetize <laughs> it somehow, right? Can't keep giving everything away for free. I know, you know, the the free version of it is is still... still crazy. It, all, it always yeah. blows me away, right? Like when I ask it something, I'm like, what the... Right? And nine times out of 10, it's pretty accurate. You'd always want to validate or verify that info or test, oh, your, test your scripts or anything that you might be using yeah. to get you started. But hey, it's still Definitely. pretty impressive, right? It'll be interesting. You just made me think of something. So... Reinvents coming up in what? What are we? November tenth. So two weeks. Two three weeks. Yeah, yeah, roughly right, like end of November. And yeah, I've been to a number of reinvents, not going this year, and and I always kind of walk away from reinvent and think to myself, it always seems to have a theme, right? It's like there's, I know it's not a themed event, but if you if you sit and watch the keynotes, sort of the keynotes yep. are all sort of not not very. Sp- like like specific on the theme but if you if you think about it you can kind of see how they're they're all sort of talking about the same thing right and and and, yeah. and saying hey this is they're kind of i always called it crystal ball gazing right you can kind of sit there and listen to to the keynotes and and formulate your own thoughts on sort of what aws believes the next six to eight months might look like and and based off of how they're talking about things and um it'll be interesting to see this year what the theme is i would have to suspect it's all going to be gen ai right so oh we lost travers well oh hang on he's back maybe there you are welcome back connection drops <laughs> i was just saying i don't know what you heard but i i said that um all the reinvents i've been to always seem to they, they feel like they have a theme to them and yeah, this I, year's I, theme. Right? Yeah, this year's theme has got to be AI, right? Gen AI. One hundred percent. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm looking forward to see, see what they what they do. I think it's all going to be Gen AI. Yeah. I think you're right. I think uh, Werner's going to talk about it, and we're going to see like three or four keynotes on it, probably. You know what? Sorry, we're gonna. I'm going to keep you around here for one more minute. Give me a second because. Okay. I actually just realized as we were talking that I had another link I wanted to share that didn't get onto this list for somehow. I think we might've lost Travers again. Oh, Travers, you still there? Let me find this link. How did I miss this one? Here it is right here. Oh, I didn't miss the link. It's right here. This is what I was thinking about. Okay, so Simon Wardley, um, if you're not familiar, he he created something called Wardley Maps, and I'm by no mean no means an expert. Uh, essentially, though, let me zoom in. 
it's like a it's a system that he developed a, a mapping system to help you with tra- strategy and stuff and if you're not following him on x i guess uh it's definitely <laughs> it's worth yeah it's still twitter i know uh i'm trying to train myself not to call it twitter all the time but i, I can't yeah. really help myself but he does these little kind of conversation threads and chat uh, this is gpt builder which is related to i think the announcement that you had just mentioned right and he kind of goes oh, yeah. through this this conversation and i thought it was really interesting down here right like first off right i watched uh, them build an application by just speaking to an ai in 2018 so okay this kind of stuff's been around for a while uh yeah. what gets you excited <laughs> i like how he says you mean interested AWS moving into the space. And I haven't read through these articles. I just grabbed the thread and kind of scrolled through it quickly. Uh, but I, I love this. I, I expect this to be an all guns blazing sort of situation. And yeah. I would say that you kind of already have that feel just with conversations that you have with AWS. It's kind of all about, well, what's happening with Gen AI, right? So this is an actually really interesting little thread. And by no means is, is it a huge one, but I can kind of see he's doing some crystal ball gazing already. You can see here, AWS and OpenAI AI will both peruse or pursue industrialized services built on custom silicone, right? So they won't be, yeah. they'll be building their own chips probably very quickly if they, I don't know, AWS is already doing that, aren't they? Isn't that like- Yeah, they're making those Graviton chips yeah. and they're probably they have the some kind of GPU architecture. Yeah, and, and they have those chips for machine learning already, right? So, yeah, I thought this was kind of neat, but you can see here, realize that this is a battle. The winners and losers in the space normally get decided over a five to eight year time frame. And yeah. then somebody else shows up and says they did all the, the hard work, right? So I just, I, I forgot about this one. And then you just jogged my memory as you mentioned uh, the announcement from OpenAI. So perfect. Well, I'll tell you what, why don't we leave it here and uh, enjoy your weekend and we'll see you next week. Yeah. Perfect. See you, Bye for now.